chapter 13, uh, verses 49 through 52, and uh, talking about Paul's missionary journey. And here's uh, our four verses we want to share this morning. You can follow along as I read. When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they, Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Lord, we're grateful that we can uh, be here this morning to uh, worship you, uh, to honor veterans, to encourage one another, and to be challenged with your word. Lord, we're thankful for the freedom that we enjoy, uh, a freedom to worship that, that was very, very costly. Lord, we're also thankful for our spiritual freedom, Lord, that was purchased through the blood of your son, Jesus. And so this morning, as we look into your word, we pray that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and uh, speak to our hearts today. Help us to, uh, help us to be listening, help us to be learning, and help us then to live out the truth. And we will give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been looking at the book of Acts, and uh, so we're going to continue our journey in the book of Acts. We're actually about halfway through. The uh, book of Acts, I believe, has uh, 28 chapters, and uh, we're uh, going to complete chapter 13 this morning. So just to kind of get our, our mindset, uh, remember that the key verse from the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8 where the uh, words of Jesus to the disciples, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on me, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, there's the outline of the book of Acts. The first six chapters, the gospel goes to Jerusalem, uh, Pentecost, uh, that great sermon by Peter, 3,000 people come into the church, and now the gospel spreads in Jerusalem. Then you go chapter 7 through 12, the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. How does that happen? Persecution comes. And there's a man by the name of Saul who is the chief persecutor of the church. And if you stayed in Jerusalem, your life was on the line. And so many of the believers scattered, but as they did, they shared the gospel. And so now the gospel goes to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. And now we come to chapter 13 through the end of the book. And it's the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. How does that happen? Well, as we saw, Saul gets converted. He now becomes the chief spokesperson, missionary of the church. And he takes three missionary trips, three missionary journeys that takes the gospel to literally the ends of the earth. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at uh, Paul's first missionary journey, the first of three. Uh, so let's think about missions trips. Uh, a phrase that I've heard over and over again is this, that mission trips are life-changing. I don't know how many of you have taken a mission trip somewhere, but uh, mission trips are life-changing. So what do missionary trips do for us? Well, first of all, missionary trips broaden our vision of the world. 
we get out of our little bubble and realize that uh, the world is not just uh, our little town, our little area, but there's 8 billion people on the planet, different countries, different cultures. A missions trip helps us realize how blessed we are to live in the United States of America. As many problems as our country has, when you begin to travel around the world, you begin to discover how blessed we are to live in the United States of America. Did some research this week. 719 million people on the planet, 9%, live on less than $2.15 a day. Um, we are abundantly blessed in many ways to live in the United States of America. And I remember um, one of my friends years ago who took many trips to the country of India, he came back and told me, I think every 18-year-old um, in America, young person, should go to India and uh, spend a little time there, and uh, they would probably never complain again the rest of their life. Uh, we, are, we are so blessed to live in, in the United States of America. A missions trip exposes us to the physical, material, and spiritual needs around the world. Uh, that's why Jesus in Matthew 9 says, the harvest is plenteous, the labors are few, so what's he asks us to do? Pray that you'll send forth labors into the harvest field to reach a world that needs to know about Jesus. And so... That's what's behind our two little simple mission projects that we're wanting you to partner with. Operation Christmas Child, Change Your World. Just two small ways that we can partner in getting the gospel out. Uh, lastly, a mission trip enables us to be an active participant in the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and to become a global Christian, which is what God wants us to do. So, uh, mission trip. So we're going to look at Paul's first mission trip. And uh, we looked at it last, uh, the, at least part one, last Sunday. And let me encourage you to get um, get your insert out with the outline and a little map here that will help us geographically to uh, see uh, where that missionary trip went. And so just by way of review, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas have been in Antioch for one year. And there's a, a church there that um, developed, and Paul and Barnabas spent one year uh, teaching and encouraging those believers. And as they did, uh, the Spirit of God came along and said, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. And so Paul and Barnabas were essentially the first official missionaries. They set them apart. They prayed and laid hands on them and had a commissioning service and sent them out to take the gospel. So they started out, if you look on your little map there in Antioch, uh, they make their way down to Seleucia on the bottom right-hand corner there, a coastal city on the Mediterranean Sea. There they got on a, a, a boat, and they traveled to Cyprus, and they traveled the whole island of Cyprus, from Salamis to Paphos, east to west. The scriptures record, and we looked at this last week, that there was one person that came to faith in Christ through their ministry his name was Sergius Paulus. He was the Roman-appointed uh, governor of the island of Cyprus there, and we read that story last week. And uh, so that's going to bring us to part two of the missionary uh, journey of Paul as we see where he continues from there. So let's look at Acts uh, chapter 13, 
And we're going to start out with uh, our, our strategy. That's the first part of our outline, beginning in verse 13. From Paphos, that's the city on the western end of Cyprus, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. So you see that on your map as well. So now they're moving north, and they arrive at Perga. Something significant happens there at Perga. Last part of verse 13, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So who was on the first missionary trip? It was Paul, it was Barnabas, but there was also a helper. His name was John Mark, who went with them. And so there were three of them on this missionary journey. And what happens after the first leg of the missionary journey? John Mark drops out. John Mark decides to go home to Jerusalem. He's about 500 miles away from home. Now, it's interesting. I, I, I wish that Dr. Luke would have given us a little more information because the question is, why did John Mark leave? Here they are after just one leg of their first missionary journey, and they lose one-third of their team. And so the scriptures don't tell us. And so uh, Bible students and, and commentators have made some speculation why John Mark might have left. Why did he leave that first missionary journey? Was he physically sick? That could have happened. You're traveling, you're in a different culture. John Mark could have gotten sick. Uh, we have one of our missionary families, um, Tim and G. Kavanaugh. We partnered with them. They attended here while they were training for the mission field. Uh, Tim and G. raised their support. Uh, we took them on as, in a financial way and helped them to get to the Philippines, and they were sending us reports, and we showed some of those video reports to you. Uh, on Sunday mornings of how they were doing. And um, about nine months into their trip there, uh, G was realizing she was having all sorts of physical problems in that climate. And as they prayed and prayed and sought advice, they had to leave the mission field. And about three months ago, they left the Philippines, and now they're back in California, and they're kind of seeking God's direction. And why was that? Because of they had to because of G's health. So maybe John Mark got sick. Um, maybe John Mark was homesick. That could be. Maybe the rigors of missionary life and missionary travel were too much for John Mark. Uh, we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that John Mark's mother lived in Jerusalem when Peter was in prison and the church was having a prayer meeting for them, they were meeting at the home of John Mark's mother. Some speculate that, that John Mark kind of lived uh, uh, maybe an easier uh, uh, life and that the rigors of missionary travel were too much, and so he decides to leave. Uh, that, that could be. Maybe there was a personality conflict. Maybe, maybe, maybe things weren't going very well. Um, what's, what's interesting is you read through the book of Acts that while in the early part of Acts, it's Barnabas is the prominent person. It, the scriptures read Barnabas and Paul or Barnabas and Saul. When you get to chapter 13 through the rest of the book, that flip flops and now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul takes the lead. 
And so maybe Barnabas was, was not happy with that change of leadership, especially because John Mark, Colossians 4.10 tells us, John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. They were related. And, and so we don't, we don't know, but all that we know is that John Mark um, leaves uh, the missionary team and he goes back home to Jerusalem. Even today's studies show a relatively high attrition rate of missionaries that are serving cross-culturally. Um, one study uh, reads like this, although few good statistics exist, one study discovered that 40% of missionaries leave the field by the end of their first 10 years. 68% after their first 20 years. So there's a high attrition rate to missionaries. Not easy to be away from home. Not easy to be in a different culture. Not easy to be separated from, uh, from, from family. Uh, for about 10 years, when my um, folks' retirement years, they, they connected with, and I've mentioned this many times, Team Mission, and Team Mission was looking at the fact that there was a high attrition rate of their missionaries, and so they became proactive. Uh, they just started the Barnabas ministry, the encouragement ministry, and they got seasoned, um, seasoned pastors that were retired, and they assigned them a field. And they said, we would like you to go to the mission field twice a year, go for about three weeks, and your job is specifically to go there and encourage missionaries. And my folks did that for about 10 years. They hopped on a plane, went over to, their field was the Middle East, spent time in Turkey, spent time in um, the United Arab Emirates, spent time in Jordan, and their job specifically was to go around and meet with missionaries, pray with them, and encourage them. Well, uh, John Mark leaves, and uh, we need to continue on with our text here, uh, the strategy. Then it says, from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. So here's another Antioch. There's actually about 13 or 14 of them in uh, that time of the, uh, the, con- the time of the century. Lots of Antiochs. This is Pisidian Antioch. On Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. This is Paul and Barnabas. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So what was Paul and Barnabas' strategy when they went to the mission field? Their strategy is, we're going to start with the Jewish synagogues. That's where people are. That was their connection point. And so they're in Pisidian Antioch. They're at the synagogue. They've had their prayers and their scripture reading. And the rabbi perhaps recognizes uh, some guests, and he asks the Paul and Barnabas, would you like to share a word of encouragement? And of course, Paul takes that offer up. And uh, he stands up and he gives a sermon. This is Paul's first recorded sermon in Scripture. It starts in verse 16 and goes all the way through verse 43. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to overview it. But verse 16 says, Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So it was interesting. Paul's there and he says, Would you like to say something? And Paul stands up and he, he preaches a sermon. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes, Always be ready 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. So maybe not all of us are ready to, on the spur of the moment, give a sermon, but we all need to be ready, Peter says what? To give a witness, an answer for what the hope that lies within us, which of course is, is Jesus. So just looking at this overview of this sermon, Paul starts with the history of Israel. What's interesting when you study Paul's sermons is that he's very targeted regarding who his audience is, uh, which is a good thing when you're in, in ministry or public speaking. It's a good thing to know your audience. Am I speaking to all Christians? Am I speaking to unbelievers? Am I speaking to a combination of both? Uh, where, where are these people? What's the background of these people? What are their needs? So here, Paul's in the synagogue, and he quotes a lot of Scripture because these people knew Scripture. When Paul gets to Mars Hill in Athens and he's talking to the intellectual elite on Mars Hill, Paul doesn't quote one word of Scripture. He gives a totally different, he still preaches truth. He doesn't preach, he doesn't quote scripture though because those people didn't have that basis of, of knowledge of scripture. So here's Paul. He starts out with the history of Israel, verses 17 and 18, um, verses 19 and through 20, um, talking about what God has done. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So he's talking about the um, the Egyptian um, captivity, 400 years. He's talking about uh, the land of Canaan and the book of Joshua. So he summarizes that all in a couple verses. And then he goes through the judges and he talks about uh, Samuel, the prophet. Uh, verse 22 and 21, he talks about their first king, Saul. Then he talks about King David. Uh, verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And so Paul covers uh, King Saul. Paul talks about King David, but then he moves to Jesus. And he talks about who Jesus is. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about the resurrection he talks about what's available when you put your faith in Jesus. Uh, let me just pick it up in verse 36. When David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, did not see decay. His body didn't decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So Paul goes straight to the gospel. Talks about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and when you put your faith in him, what do you get? Forgiveness of sin. You get set free. You are justified, which is the legal term that uh, when God looks at our standing before him, when we've put our faith in Jesus, he sees us just as if we've never sinned. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ gets credited to our account. And he sees us as perfect in our standing before him, all because of Jesus. 
Well, he goes on to finish his sermon, and uh, let's move on to the strategic shift, the strategic shift, because um, this is where uh, Paul says, uh, we're going to preach the gospel to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. And Paul ends up saying, well, because the Jews uh, basically didn't accept the word, uh, the message of salvation, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles. Let's, uh, let's look at it in uh, verse, beginning in verse 44. Um, so it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So word spread about what Paul had said. It brings lots of people to the, the synagogue on the next Sabbath. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So the religious leaders were, were jealous. They began to contradict what Paul was saying. They heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. We're going to move on because you've rejected the truth of God's word. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul's quoting the Old Testament. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord Interesting phrase here. And all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, we could get into a long sermon here about um, predestination, foreknowledge, Calvinism, free will. Um, and, and this is a very powerful verse on the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that, that salvation is all of God. And all that were appointed to eternal life believed. Ephesians chapter 1, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so the Gentiles come to faith in Christ. And as we read in our scripture reading, verse 49, it says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Now, uh, we're going to see then that uh, Paul goes on north and he begins to spread the word of of the Lord. And he's... um, preaching to cities in Galatia. In our adult Sunday school, we're looking at the the book of Galatians. And uh, some people who put their faith in Christ and then wanted to go back to the former way of of Judaism. That's Paul's writing to to those people where where he's ministering on this first missionary journey in the book of Galatians. But what happened? The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet. That's uh, directions that Jesus gave in Luke chapter eight, uh, 10, rather, verses 8 through 11. We won't take time to look at it, but it says if someone doesn't receive the, your, your message, you can shake the dust off your feet and move on. And that's what they did. They shook the dust off of their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. So now they they go on from Antioch and they go north to another city, what? To share the gospel. And um, verse 52, and the disciples, referring to those new believers, were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good combination, isn't it? I don't know if that would describe your life this morning, but if you know Jesus is your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you, 
And here are these new believers, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they're filled with joy. And when your life is filled with the Spirit and filled with joy, it becomes very attractive to other people. And they want to know what's going on in your life. And so here's these uh, new believers, and they're experiencing joy, and they're experiencing um, being filled with, with the Spirit. Well, this morning, we're just going to take 10 minutes here to look at uh, four life lessons from this missionary journey here, journey number one. And uh, let's, let's look at it. Here's the first one from Acts chapter 13. Following Jesus in our life. Being a Jesus follower or a disciple, whatever word you want to put there, following Jesus often involves sacrifice. It often involves sacrifice. When you read the New Testament and the call of Jesus, Jesus often says, you better count the cost. (laughs) You better count the cost of, of being a follower of Jesus and what that is going to cost you because it can be very, very costly. And certainly it was, it was for Jesus. Following Jesus and being a follower or a disciple of Christ is a life of selflessness and sacrifice. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, who what? Thought about others before they thought about themselves. That's counterintuitive to how we're uh, in our human nature. We put ourselves first. Following Jesus means a life of selflessness and a life of sacrifice. Perhaps that's why John Mark left. We don't, we don't know. But that's true for, um, for followers of Jesus today. I specifically think of, of missionaries who are cross-cultural missionaries and how, you know, how difficult that is. And we're all coming up on holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and thinking about how we can gather together with family and friends. And, uh, many of our missionaries that are across the ocean, cross-culturally, um, uh, aren't going to have that that privilege. Um, the sacrifice of travel. I remember, uh, and certainly travel has changed in many, many years. When, when I was a young boy, um, my folks, my dad pastored a church in Cleveland, Ohio. He had a very good friend that he graduated with from college and seminary. Uh, the Mesner family, they were missionaries to Brazil. And now they were had been on furlough, and they're going back to Brazil our family drove to New York City uh, because we wanted to encourage the Mesners and we wanted to see them off on their trip. And they were getting on a boat in New York City and they were going to travel to Brazil. I don't know how long that would have, was going to take. It was going to take weeks. And so we went as a family just to uh, pray with them and encourage them and to see them sent off. Um, Following Jesus often involves sacrifice. If we had time, we'd read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul gives a little autobiography of his missionary experience. Prison, beaten, stoned, left for dead, rejected here in, uh, in Antioch, persecution. Uh, not easy. To follow Jesus. In many cultures today, if you put your faith in Jesus, you become an outcast. Your own family rejects you and and has nothing to do with you. 
Uh, so following Jesus often involves sacrifice, and probably one of our challenges in the church in America today is we have a very comfortable Christianity, don't we? Easy to be a follower of Jesus today. And uh, following Jesus often involves sacrifice. Number two, uh, remember that when life seems out of control, when life seems out of control, and uh, perhaps it did for Paul and Barnabas and John Mark leaving, that God is in control. And I just want to point this out. We didn't have time to really uh, read uh, Paul's sermon, but as he's giving the history of Israel, and it's the history of slavery, it's the history of wilderness wanderings, it's the history of, of uh, challenging times and circumstances in their lives, God was in control through the whole thing. And so just as a quick uh, overview of Paul's sermon, uh, verse 17, uh, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. So God, God chose the Israelites. Uh, last part of verse 17, God prospered them. Uh, verse, last part of verse 17 again, God led them out of Egypt. Verse 19, God overthrew seven nations in Canaan. Verse 19, God gave the land to his people as an inheritance. Uh, that's pretty um, right up to date with the news today, isn't it? Because that battle is, is going on today. Uh, God gave them judges, verse 20. God gave them kings, verse 21. God has brought Israel the Savior, verse 23. God raised him from the dead. And so remember, here's Israel, and they're going through all these struggles, but Paul says, guess who's in control? God is. And that's true of our lives as well. And when life gets hard and life gets difficult and, and challenges come, we need to remember that God's in control. God is sovereign, and king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Joseph to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And so God is sovereign. God is in control. And we need to be reminded of that. Lesson number three from Acts 13 is this. Remember that failure is not final. Failure is not final. And so there's a couple people here in Acts chapter 13 that um, we want to focus on. First of all is John Mark. So John Mark signs up for missionary trip number one. They get partway through, and John Mark says, um, I'm going home. And in Acts 13, 13, John leaves and goes back to his home in Jerusalem. When we get to Acts chapter 15, in that section, verses 36 through 41, again, we won't read it for time's sake, but now uh, Paul is ready for missionary trip number two. And Paul and Barnabas are having a discussion. And uh, as they're thinking about um, going back and, and visiting all the places that they had visited on the first missionary journey, it says Barnabas, verse 37, Acts 15, wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. So Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Let's, let's, let's get my cousin, John Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with the work, them in the work. So 
Barnabas says, yeah, let's bring John Mark along on missionary trip number two. And Paul says, no way. <laughs> he, he's the one who, he left us. He left us hanging. He went back home. I'm not taking him. And it says that they had such a sharp disagreement. Imagine two Christians disagreeing, <laughs> not being able to get along. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. What happened? Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose another person, Silas. And so out of that disagreement, really the mission team grew. Now they had, they had two teams rather than one. Uh, they had uh, Barnabas and John Mark, and they had Paul and Silas, and, and really went different ways. But remember, the failure is not final. And I say that because when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and this is Paul's final epistle, this is closing book that he writes from prison. And here he is writing his last, last letter, verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Then he instructs Timothy, get Mark, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. Wow. Something, something changed in, in between Acts chapter 15 and the end of Paul's life where Paul says, can you bring John Mark now because Mark is helpful. Mark is profitable. And so uh, remember that failure is not final. And uh, ultimately, John Mark uh, proved himself what? Proved himself to be faithful. The same is true in uh, this passage in Acts chapter 13, and maybe maybe you caught it when we read it earlier, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and here's Paul's sermon about the history of Israel. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God calls David, the adulterer, the liar, if you remember the story with Bathsheba, the one who basically sent Uriah to the front line and said, you know, have him killed. We could call him a murderer. At least he was in on that plot. He calls him a man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because you read Psalm 32 and you read Psalm 51 that after Nathan the prophet came and had a heart-to-heart talk with David and pointed his finger at him and said, uh, yeah, you're, you're the one that's um, basically done something horrible and David knew what it was. What did David do? David, conf- David changed. David confessed. Read Psalm 32. Read Psalm 51. And he writes this psalm of confession and forgiveness and uh, renew a right spirit within me. And now um, God uses David. And David is called a man after God's own heart. In my devotional reading, I'm reading a, a devotional I've had for years, and I've read through it many times, but it's called Worship the King by Tris, Chris Tigran is the author. Here was Friday's um, paragraph devotional. Many times in scriptures, the Bible calls us to remember, but we are also called to a holy forgetfulness about some things. Isaiah forty three eighteen. 
Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Ephesians, or Philippians 3.13, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on toward what God has called me to do. Chris writes, God doesn't want us to dwell on the past. Sins, mistakes, shame, and guilt do not define us anymore. God's forgiveness has rewritten our history. And so if you're here this morning, I don't care what sin you've committed. If you put your faith in Jesus, it's under the blood. It's forgiven. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. I will remember them no more. I will no longer hold those sins against you. But what does the evil one want us to do? He wants us to dwell on those He wants us to think about that. He wants that to define us. And God wants those things to be uh, forgotten and learned from and moved moved on to uh, what God has for us. Well, life lesson number four, then we're done this morning. And uh, we'll conclude with this one. This is from Acts 13, verse 36. Our lifespan is directly tied to God's purpose in our lives. Our lifespan, our time here on planet Earth, is directly tied to what? God's plan and purpose for us. Let me get that from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Again, Saul's sermon. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation... He fell asleep. He died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Basically, God's saying, when David accomplished everything that God had laid out for him, when when David fulfilled God's plan and purpose for his life, David died because he completed what God wanted him to complete. And so our lifespan is directly tied to God's plan and purpose for us this morning. Now the good news is this, that if you're breathing and drawing breath this morning, it means God's God's got something for you to do. It means God's not finished with you yet because you're still here. And so our challenge is what? To find out what what God has for us and what is that plan and what is that purpose and how has he uniquely made us and to fulfill the mission that God has for us. And when that mission is done, when we've done all that God has laid out for us, God will call us. I had a birthday recently last week, birthday number 68. Got lots of greetings. Um, most people don't send birthday cards anymore, but I've got a, my brother and sister-in-law live in southern Ohio, and they always, always send a card. And so um, opened a card this week from my uh, brother and sister-in-law, work at Cedarville University in Ohio, and uh, there in the front was a quote from uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, and the quote is this, God can make the rest of your life the best of your life. God can make the rest of your life the best of your life. I read that, like, I kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know how many years I have left, you have left, but let's take what God has given us 
and make it the best of our life. And when we do that, when we accomplish all that he wants us to do, God's going to say someday, come on home, and we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that will be your case and your challenge to make the rest of your life what God calls you to do. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for um, Paul and Barnabas and uh, their willingness to go on this mission trip and to follow you. And Lord, I just uh, pray that as we um, are followers of Jesus, Lord, we recognize that sometimes that involves sacrifice. And help us to count the cost and be willing to sacrifice, whether that's time, talent, or treasure, to accomplish your kingdom. Lord, help us to see your hand and trust your sovereignty in our lives. Lord, that's easy to see when things are going well, but when things are challenging, help us to remember that that you are in control and we can trust you. Lord, I pray for the uh, person here this morning or several here this morning that are still struggling with what's in the rearview mirror. Lord, help them to realize that um, if they put their faith in Jesus, they are forgiven. Lord, you no longer hold that sin against them. And uh, Lord, help us to uh, put that in the past. And Lord, help us to focus on the future and what you've called us to do and how we can serve you. And I pray that uh, we would make a choice today to make the rest of our lives the best of our lives as we fulfill your plan and purpose for us. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.